this, narrator advises that the listener digest the following as entertainment. The showrunners behind it are neither six-figure filmmakers nor professional critics. They are casually critical. Hello, Spacemen, and welcome to Casually Critical, the podcast show starring two pals who love to talk about storytelling. I'm your overbearingly gruff host, Daniel Carpenter. And I'm James Newton, your very scientific and articulate co-host. Um, for those of you who are curious, we'll be starting this review free of spoilers. Our casual correspondence will follow, and then we will articulately end this episode with a spoiler-filled discussion. We're reviewing Space Force today, the new Netflix original series, and that's headed up by uh, Steve Carell and Greg Daniels. Uh, Greg Daniels and Steve Carell are both formerly known for The Office, so there's a lot of hype here, and I'm sure you are feeling the hype as well. Daniel, could you tell us a little bit about the series? So we follow General Nayard, who's played by Steve Carell. And as James just mentioned, Steve Carell is also one of the producers and one of the showrunners, which means he's one of the top creative voices guiding this show. So he's not only acting in it, but he's also got extensive fingers in multiple different jars, metaphorically speaking. But anyway, this is a bit more character focused, focuses on his character, General Nayard, who's a four star general, just got promoted and instead of becoming the head honcho for the armed forces, the Air Force, he is assigned to the new Space Force, which is something that POTUS, the president of the United States, has recently commissioned. And this is based on an actual Donald Trump fiasco that happened a little while back where he proposed an actual new branch of the armed forces. Right. And so Greg Daniels said, oh, my gosh, this is so inherently funny. Let's do a whole show on if it actually became a full-fledged branch of the military. Ergo, Space Force. So, James, this is a little, uh, this is more than a little interesting because you and I are very devout Greg Daniels fans, even if we don't know it. Yeah. There's The Office, there's Parks and Rec, all those shows we love, if not at the very least, extensively appreciate. Um, and I believe he also has influence in Brooklyn Nine-Nine as well, um, yeah. which I know a lot of other people really enjoy, and I, I personally enjoy as well. So Greg Daniels has really kind of led or maybe even just popularized kind of the modern sitcom style. Instead of laugh tracks and awkward pauses for audience laughter, we have kind of a mockumentary style camera work. If anything, I think one trope of his work is it takes the real and then just hyperbolizes it beyond so that there isn't really that sting of reality that comes with it. Like, oh, man. Right. Oh, yeah, that's true. And the mockumentary format sort of grounds it in an interesting way, too, because there's a lot of attention being called to uh, the camera and the interviewer, uh, even sometimes mm -hmm. having conversations uh, with people behind the camera, um, like in The Office. I would say Greg Daniels makes these fantasy worlds inspired by reality and then takes a camera crew and puts them in this fantasy world. Yeah. That's kind of what it feels like. And Space Force is no exception. It has a lot of the trademark hyperbolizing, so to speak. There are characters that are very over the top. And yet, there has been such a backlash against this series, especially season one. 
I guess initially, James, when we're talking about in general, just, I don't know, the characters and what we know of Greg Daniels's previous work. Do you think that this backlash is justified? Uh, I don't think so. I think a lot of the backlash is writing off of it's not The Office. It's not Parks and Rec. And I will say the first season, in my opinion, is not as good as either of those shows. But then again, let's take a look at season one of Parks and Rec or let's take a look at season one of The Office. Those shows were awful. <laughs> um, so if we yeah. are making comparisons, then I think we're right on par with the Greg Daniels style. Am I saying that Space Force is going to be amazing uh, continuing? I'm not sure. I personally think that it kind of got better as it went on um, in some ways. Uh, and we can talk about that more in our spoiler review um, trademark. That's sort of our trademark phrase. But what about you, Daniel? What do you think? I did not like this show, if I'm honest with you. But James, you did hit the nail on the head. The one major disclaimer I have that's preventing me from going full force on this is that Greg Daniels is just doing Greg Daniels. Him and whoever he partnered with in the past for The Office and Parks and Rec Season one is always the roughest. Yeah. Everyone's always like, just get through season one. You have to see it for the introductions, but just it gets better as it goes on. You know, there's that yeah. there's that disclaimer. Not every show is going to be like Breaking Bad or even The Last Airbender, which, as we've talked about, The Last Airbender did have kind of a rusty season one. It did. Especially compared to the other seasons. Oh, yeah. But Greg Daniels could have learned better during this time. Oh, for he sure. Could have upped his writing game. He could have sought out people. I saw so many different names of people that wrote the scripts for the episodes in this season, which makes me think that Greg Daniels had ideas for the story arcs, but wanted to delegate the specific episodes to different people. Yeah. However it worked, I'm going to hold Greg Daniels and Steve Carell accountable here for the season. It could have been a lot better. And I do have several complaints that I love to talk about with you later uh, in our spoiler review. Just going to hype up that spoiler review train and keep <laughs> it going. Yeah, I certainly have a lot of complaints as well. Um, I think uh, this could be way better than it was. One thing that I'm going to do on behalf of uh, Carell and Daniels um, is it's, it's a huge departure from anything stylistically um, that has been done yeah. before uh, by Greg Daniels. Um, not only is it off of network television, but it's also uh, in a much more cinematic style because it's about space and space travel, but also at the same time, it's kind of an office comedy. It's like, this mm -hmm. is so weird. What is it trying to be? So that's part of my confusion. But And I don't know how Steve Carell is as a director or if he's made anything great, but I'm not sure if his influence is the best. I'm trying to push back because I also read reviews and I read lots of criticism and I'm going to, for this episode, I'm going to try and push back against some of those criticisms and, okay. uh, I want, I want people to give it a chance. You'll be the good cop. I'll be the bad cop. Yeah. That sounds fun. <laughs> if that's, that's how it got. Yeah, sure. We could do that. Okay. I'm going to suggest for those of you that haven't seen it and are on the fence, I would say wait until season two comes out. Ooh. I don't know if it's going to be better, but given what we discussed, given Greg Daniels's past, Season ones are never his strong suit, but once the ball is rolling, it really gets rolling. And I would suspect with him, once he's seen how people react and once he's able to gauge what to do, I think he'll pick up steam. Yeah. That being said, the other red flag I have is the way he's structured this. I don't know if there's a lot of flexibility in that because mm. it's a more narrative structure, because it's more character centric. I'm not sure there's a lot of wiggle room. Mm. So 
I'll leave it at that. Um, okay. James, what do you think? What would you say to people that are on the fence in terms of watching this? Yeah, I honestly think your advice is really good because um, in a lot of ways, the first three, four episodes, maybe even like all the way up to episode six, uh, I was quite bored with this show. What do you think, Daniel? Um, out of five stars, how would you rate Space Force? Well, uh, I think we've coined a new term here, Greg Daniel Syndrome, <laughs> when, a, when a series just does not Sorry. start out well at all. How would you rate Space Force Season 1? There we go. Two and a half stars out of five. Okay. Um, there's a lot of issues here, not just with the season, but structurally that I have concerns with, which makes me extra excited now that you're kind of deciding to take on a more defensive view. I think this will be a really fun back and forth in our spoilers. Yeah. Uh, but that's where I'm going to leave it. This is not a promising show. And m more to the point, it's not an engaging show. Mm. How about you, James? Um, I would give this a three out of five stars. So, Ooh. wow, records are being broken here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Me rating something higher than Daniel. Um, it's this very special episode. I feel like this should be a finale of a season or something. Anyway. There you go. We did take a one-week break. Yeah, there we go, if any of you noticed. Um, That's true. James, ouch. Oh, Don't, man. Not on air. I just roasted us so hard. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I'm having fun. Are you having fun, Daniel? I'm having good time. All right, good. Let's go ahead and dive into our casual correspondence then. So, Daniel, today I cracked open the mailbox and I was answering uh, a question that we put out during our marriage story episode. Uh, oh, man. Which is, who is an underrated Hollywood actor? Um, and we had a couple different responses. Thank you guys. Uh, some of the regulars, we really appreciate all of your, all of your feedback, working with us, giving us stuff to talk about. Uh, first being Nathan, who suggests Michael Pena. Um, now I know him mostly from Ant-Man and Grace Point, but all, he's also known for a lead role in Chips, uh, which is the California Highway Police, uh, based on the 70s series. And then Fantasy Island, which is also based on a television series, but is kind of a horror movie instead of a sort of a sitcom drama. Anyway, um, what are your thoughts on Michael Pena? He's all right. I don't have a lot to say, That's which okay. is really bad. I think he's so underrated that he's not even rated on my radar. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's a C or D list actor, which is not a bad thing. That's higher than I'll ever be in my life. Uh, the next answer we have is from Milan, who says Amy Adams known for Enchanted, uh, Man of Steel, and Arrival, uh, which we previously reviewed this season. I also really need to see Enchanted. A lot of people had said good things about it. Really? I've never seen a lot it. Of, well, mostly ladies. I think it's very clear what demographic it's mostly geared for. Yeah. But I, I've heard enough good things where it's like, yeah, I'd just like to check it out and, and see what the buzz is about. You know, I'm like a moth. Whenever there's a lot of talk, I tend to gravitate towards it. Oh, um, that's fun. Uh, Milan, I would agree. I think Amy Adams is a very underrated actress. I think Arrival really brought out what she's capable of doing. Mm -hmm. I, I think there's a lot of subtleties and nuances in her acting, especially in that movie that we touched on uh, briefly in our review for Arrival. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I hope she gets more attention. 
I agree. It's it's funny. Whenever you first said that this uh, was an underrated actress meal, and I was like, what? No way. Everyone knows Amy Adams. But I don't think people know what she's capable of. Uh, and I think I was awakened to that. Similar to you, Daniel, whenever I saw Arrival, I was like, dang, she's really got some dramatic chops. She can do a lot. Um, she's quite a good actress. So up next, we have Connor, who recommends Julia Garner, who I just recently looked up, and she's known for Ozark, Sin City, Perks of Being a Wallflower, and uh, The Assistant. I'm looking her up right now. Ah. <laughs> Connor, you have a very good point. She is underrated. I have no idea who this person is. Exactly. I have seen, I've seen Perks of Being a Wallflower, but uh, yeah, I have no idea. I'm sorry. I assume she's good. Yeah, Ozark has some Breaking Bad vibes. Perks of Being a Wallflower has some millennials running around in a field vibes. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, that's all I really have for that. Um, thanks for your feedback, though. Um, up next, we have Troy. Hi, Troy. Uh, good old Troy. Uh, he recommends Taron Egerton, who mm. um, we know from Kingsman and recently Rocket Man. I think Rocket Man was a really notable display of his acting. I don't want to say too much more about that though, because I have not yet seen rocket man and it's just not my kind of movie. Um, but I have seen Kingsman. I've seen both. I'm kind of glad that that ship sank for Terran's sake, because I don't want him to be typecast as this action dude. Yeah. And it's very clear through rocket man. He is capable of so much more than that. Um, again, I think, I think his agent is much better than Michael Pena's, Yeah, but I, I do think there could be a lot more work done on, on his agent's part in terms of finding really powerful roles that can really bring out those sides of Terran. I yeah. think that's important. And I don't, I mean, I know some actors are their own agents, so I don't know exactly who's who out there, but just from my standpoint, Terran, you got a solid start. I think Rocketman was a good stepping stone for you. I think the next step is to be more decisive about the movies that you're looking for. I think um, another another movie that Troy brought up, actually, whenever we were having a conversation about this, uh, Eddie the hmm. Eagle, which is a little more of an independent film. Uh, Taron right, Egerton right, is right, the right, main right, character right. in that. What do you know about that movie? I haven't seen it. Oh, okay. I've heard good things. There's just familiarity in your eyes. No, I've heard of it, and I've heard good things. It's okay. another one of those moth things. This is triggering yeah. all these movies I want to see, but I don't. <laughs> Maybe it's why they're underrated. Yeah, yeah, cool. I'm sorry, guys. So, James, I think I'll bookend this by uh, kind of playing an Uno reverse card. Uh, who do you think is is one incredibly underrated Hollywood actor in your eyes? I did a little bit of looking around, and I didn't find anybody that necessarily... I was like, yeah, definitely. But the one that comes to me personally is uh, Nathan Fillion. Um, mm. Now, I, I know I have not shut up about Firefly recently in side conversations I with you, to, Daniel. Um, I need to watch it. It's a really great show. And Nathan Fillion is great in that show. Uh, it's just, a, I really have come to appreciate him more. I thought he was just known for Castle. Once I saw Firefly, mm. I was like, oh, he's not known for Castle. He's definitely known for Firefly. Speaking of underrated, do not forget his performance in Series of Unfortunate Events, the Netflix series. What was his role in that? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow, I just remembered. Okay, that's so cool. That's awesome. He He's really good. Nathan Fillion is one of the few actors where, how do I put this? Um, especially in music, certain singers, they just have this 
well, I mean, they have this unique voice about them. <laughs> that's why they, <laughs> that's why they sing. But sometimes it just, honestly, James, it just gets annoying at times. I don't know why. It's just, it sounds like the same song, just sung differently. Huh. It no longer sounds like a, a band has a unique thing. I'm not a music guy. That's not why I'm here. I'm going to shut up about that. <laughs> um, but with actors, it it's translates similarly because sometimes I feel they're good for doing this one thing and that's all they do. Uh, one egregious example, rest in peace, uh, your career, but Seth Rogen, um, he's the same dude. And I think what the, one of the big nails in the coffin, I hope is, you know, his performance as Pumbaa and Lion King. I don't even know if it was a performance so much as just an easy money for him. Yeah. I don't know. I'm done roasting you, Seth. I think you're a good guy. I just don't think you're a good actor. I, I don't think you're certainly versatile. Wait, uh, uh, anyway, um, uh, now I just want to hear him sing. So anyway, what's uh, what's what are your I thoughts on um, underrated actors, Daniel? Jake Gyllenhaal, by oh. far. And there's one good reason I have, and that is Nightcrawler. If you haven't seen Nightcrawler, you need to watch it. Here's the thing about that movie that makes me hurt for Jake every time. Jake went in deep with his character he changed his speech pattern for that character. He changed the way he walks. He ate a very rigorous diet to make himself look a lot lankier and unhealthier. Uh, he rarely, if ever, blinks that entire movie just to give you that feeling of unease. He's this slimeball antihero who's physically a wimp, but in real life, he'd be terrifying as well if you know what he's capable of. Yeah, I won't say much more than that. It was a good movie, but it was... I think the limelight for Amazing Thriller was taken because in that same year, Whiplash came out. Oh, man. Oh, that hurts. What a good year. And here's the thing. I love both movies. I saw both, I think, within days of each other. I was kind of in that, like, ooh, yum, thrillers are really good. And so... I think uh, Jake Gyllenhaal did definitely get the limelight whenever he was in Far From Home, but I think everyone's kind of forgotten about him or not really paid much attention to... I think he was in the spotlight for Far From Home mostly due to his charisma as a human being. Yeah. I don't think it was because of his acting because he performed good in that movie. Yeah. But Nightcrawler is him dialed up to 10. Yeah. That's him what he could be. That's what he was. And I assume he's only grown as an actor since. I just don't think he's found a movie to really let that shine. I could be wrong. I haven't been keeping up with his career. But if you like Thriller, if you liked Whiplash, please check out Nightcrawler. It's another amazing performance. He wasn't even nominated for the Oscar. That's very sad. He wasn't even nominated. Am I upset that J.K. Simmons won? No. J.K. Simmons was great, but so was Jake. So I don't know. Mm. All right. No questions, guys. So let's move on into our much-awaited spoiler review. Want to join the conversation? Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Casually Critical Podcast to get the inside scoop on future episodes. Feel free to message us on either platform to join in the casual correspondence or provide feedback on the show. Now it's time to dive into our spoiler review. All right, James. Guns are out. Here we go. And I feel like we're at opposite sides of the town. We're staring at each other. Sometimes we might fire at each other. Other times we might fire at a mutual enemy. Doesn't matter. All that we know is that our bullets and both our guns are non-lethal. So. And also that I run so fast that you can't even hit me with your bullets. 
That's not true. You don't know how to Naruto run. Do you? This is a audio medium, Daniel. Otherwise, I would demonstrate. Okay. Well, so I guess I'll start off with this megaton nuke here. Okay. Does the show work, in your opinion? And by show, I just want to be clear, setting the rules... We are just talking about season one. I think you and I already extensively talked about Greg Daniels syndrome and how he suffers from his own syndrome. Yeah. Season ones are usually not the best. We could speculate all day and say, but season two might be better. Yeah. But let's just talk about season one. Season one as a whole, does it work? If so, why? If not, why not? I hesitate because honestly, it's hard for me to say that it does. I want to be good cop here and say that it does work, but honestly... It feels like it doesn't know what it is. So mm. in some ways, it really it really doesn't. There's so many mixed signals. Is this movie about family? Is this movie about, is this a commentary on, you know, poking fun at government and stuff? Or is it, um, you know, what kind of comedy is this? Who are the main characters? Who are we focusing on? Um, I think it really starts to get an idea of what that is, like I said, after like episode six or seven, once there's sort of a more cohesive uh, storyline going on and it's less just like introducing characters. Uh, but up until then, I was just kind of lost in the woods about this one. I just, I wasn't really sure. Um, so for those reasons, I guess I'll say that it doesn't. Um, season one of Space Force does not work. What would you say about that, Daniel? I'm sure you have much to say. I do. And that's the problem with this question is I could just unload all the paragraphs I've typed up. I'll keep it simple. I would characterize the biggest problem of this show as having its cake and eating it too. It wants both worlds and it wants to do everything and appease everyone, just like Disney, just like the new Star Wars movies. And it doesn't work because as you pointed out, James, it ultimately tries to resonate with everything and then it ends up resonating, therefore, with nothing. I think what it boils down to is this. In the first episode, there's kind of a funny joke. I think it's very well played. Maybe not funny joke, just fun dialogue. Where Nerd is about to go into this, you know, office full of the big head honchos of all five, now six branches of the military. And he meets up briefly with Kick, uh, and who's his, like, arch rival. And he, basically, Kick makes some kind of gender rules reference. And then Nerd's like, gender rules. Outdated? And unfunny, you know, it's just like, okay, so he's a bit more, maybe not woke, but just aware of society, I guess, whatever. He has that kind of humor. Fine. You know, that's great. He can pick people apart. But then a few episodes in, we're starting to talk about tampons and panties. Uh, oh, yeah, that was disgusting. So, so let me ask you this, showrunners, Mr. Corral and Mr. Daniels. What's the point here? What's the brand of humor you're going for? Do you want to appeal to the primitive-minded, like, women are fun to poke fun at? Or are you trying to actually call that out? I think it goes back to, what are you trying to let your art achieve? Because we're not just telling stories here. We're telling themes. We're sending messages. What's the message? I don't get it. One of the biggest problems... Well, I keep saying biggest. They're all big. Um... None of the characters were likable for me. And maybe this is something that you slightly disagree with me on. We'll see how this goes. Every character for me boils down to complaining. Everyone complains. Everyone. And one thing this show is terrible at that I think is so sad because it's such an easy thing to fix. No one has a reason for me to invest. You know, 
for example, Naird, he seems to be this more mature head on his shoulders guy, but then he's talking about panties and tampons and, you know, his conjugal visit he's excited about and whatever. And then you have uh, Adrian Mallory, who is very hard to listen to. I don't know if that was a creative decision on John Malkovich's part, but his voice is just so grating to listen to. I'm like, just say it, man. Just, uh. but on a lesser note, Adrian Mallory seems to be the straight man. He seems to be the guy who's just incredibly rational up until the last two episodes when he just loses it and he just yells and all that. And if I were to be honest with you, James, the humor in this reminds me a lot of video game high school. I know some people even that are fans of it, but I was never a fan of the humor. And this humor reminds me too much of it. It's directionless. It has no point. Uh, like you said, this is structured like a drama, but it's written like a comedy. So there's all sorts of cognitive dissonance where it's like, what are you trying to be? So that's where I'll leave it for now is the first paragraph that I have to say in my essay. But what are your thoughts, James, on all that? Yeah, I, I agree. In terms of dissonance, I think there's a lot of confusion there about like, what exactly is trying to be achieved? Um, but I think whenever you talk about like what the message of the show or what's trying to be talked about here, I think it's a very common style of Greg Daniels. Whenever it comes to creating villains, they're always very slimy and say very disgusting things. I can yeah. I can point you to um, the Michael Scott's former boss. He was just disgusting, and I hated him so much. And every time he was on screen, I was just grossed out the councilman councilman jam from parks and recreation yeah. uh he is very similar and so whenever i saw whenever i saw um a general kick yeah kick he he just he didn't come off as surprising to me i did hate his guts and i didn't think it was i did think it was disgusting uh but i don't think i don't think that really reflected on naird's character except just by saying like here's kick he's awful and disgusting here's how naird reacts to him it sort of gives you an idea he's kind of a foil in some ways but I think there are some characters that are worth uh, looking into in this show. And I think they really kind of pick up steam a little bit as the series goes on. Um, and once again, this is literally 10 30-minute episodes. So, like, there's there's not a ton you can do whenever you're trying to juggle such a huge ensemble cast. Uh, and I think that's part of the problem with this show is that there's, there's too many different people and you're trying to make them likable. Um, but you only mm -hmm. have so much time. Um, and so I just wanted to note the, the one star general, Brad, I thought he was, he was kind of fun. And I just like the fact that he's a one star general and he's totally incompetent and he's just a secretary. Like, I don't yeah. know. I just really enjoyed him. I really enjoyed, uh, Naird's dad. Uh, the actor actually passed away, um, oh. very recently this year. He's also in the only other thing I know him for is he's in Wally. -E. He's the, the president of um, by and large, he's the only live oh, action wow. character in the in the really? movie. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so cool. I really enjoyed him. He's just a hyperbolized, senile grandfather uh, who just keeps forgetting things. I enjoyed him. Uh, Captain Ali and Doctor Chan both um, got increasing screen time as the show went on, and I I really enjoyed both of them, especially <laughs> especially with a little bit of foreshadowing where Doctor Chan mentioned that. African-American women and Asian men make the most yeah. beautiful couples. Uh, I just thought I just thought that was funny. And there were some sweet moments where I was like, OK, there's some of the feel good aspects of Parks and Recreation here. It's just not fully fleshed out. And I think that's yeah. the problem is that um, 
like you said, it's it's trying to be a lot of different things. Um, and there are some story threads here that I think that are really interesting and I think could go on and could be really cool. The situation that General Naird is in with the open marriage relationship, uh, I thought that was just such a strange thing and something I've never seen yeah. on television before. And I think could definitely be explored in terms of like how that affects people and how that affects characters. Because, well, it would never, in my opinion, be morally advisable. But in this mm -hmm. situation with these characters, it seems morally advisable. So it's actually justified and you're not hating either party for making that decision, even though I think it's weird. I just think it's an interesting thing that can be explored more uh, later on. The casting of this show, I think, cripples it in a lot of different ways. Um, I think John Malkovich is such a prestigious actor, and I think um, because of that, yeah. things are expected of him, and maybe he doesn't live up to those expectations. The same thing happens with Steve Carell. I don't think he was Michael Scott. I think he was just a Steve Carell character, which is always goofy, kind of this yeah. soft side, but there's always this outer inner dialogue that's going on that you can hear as an audience, and it's like, yeah. I don't want that. I don't need that. I have that already with other movies. I've watched Dan in real life before. I've watched Foxcatcher. I've watched, um, you know, The Office. So I don't need that in my life. And then also uh, the person that plays uh, F. Tony Scarapaducci. What's his? What's the actor name? Yeah. Ben Schwartz. Uh, he's yeah, obviously known for John Ralphio in Parks and Rec. Uh, and yeah. so he's kind of just like a toned down John Ralphio for the most part until there's sort of some different characterization later on as the show goes, but it doesn't matter. The casting just cripples things. And if they were if they were willing to choose different actors, I think that the show would benefit from it. I think some of those big names have harmed the series. So that's all I'll say for now. Yeah, I do think they try to make caricatured versions of these characters so much. They have to jack up the hyperbolization so much that for me it loses they lose their humanity. Like F. Tony never once cared about him. I actually wanted him to die. Or at least just get written off. I, I wanted like I'm like really, he's a side character. No, oh gosh, why? You know, I was so annoyed by him the whole time. And maybe it's just with shows like this, my nerves just become a lot more easily like mangled up. It seems but like I was it. annoyed at everything. And let me let me point you to a scene because this goes back to what I'm talking about. The biggest problem: having their cake and eating it too tonal backlash there's one scene at the end of episode six where dr mallory who could be one of my favorites except he's always talking about government spending and how much he hates war he never shuts up about it i think it'll be an amazing drinking game to have if you're gonna watch this season take a shot every time he complains about either war or government spending or just government in general anyway uh point aside James, you were talking about how you didn't know if they had enough time to develop all these characters. I would say they did have time. They just didn't use it well. Let me point mm. you to a few scenes that wasted time and had no point at all. Number one, everything to do with Edison James. Her character, this is an example of crappy world building. You bring in a character, you bring in a situation, and it never again has any relevance in any of the other episodes. Yeah. For an anthology series, that works. If you're going to have each episode or each season be a completely different world, or perhaps the same world from different characters, but that's not true with her. Uh, she shows up and she's gone. One specific so right. scene that could have been cut easily has to do with one of my least favorite characters in the show, which is Naird's daughter. So let's break down the scene. 
Uh, Nerd's daughter is chilling at her ice cream stand where I guess no one's there today. This is so inconsistent. Sometimes everyone's there, sometimes no one is. I digress. She sees Edison pull up in her expensive black car and her assistant's black car. They walk out, leaving the car unguarded. She just casually closes the ice cream shop, walks over to her car, and then she just opens the door of the car and gets in while sipping on her ice cream cone. And then, you know, her the guy who she has a fling with, the, the Alabama, dude. Alabama guy. Yeah. Duncan. Uh, he's Duncan. like, he's like. Howdy. And then she freaks out and spills ice cream all over. Now I'm like, okay, why did they go through establishing all this? Okay. Ooh, I know. A big payoff later on. What's the payoff we get? Edison goes into her car and says, hey, it smells in here. That's it. And that's the payoff. I think the point of that was to sort of establish more of a relationship between her and Duncan. But But it was never shown. So it didn't make any sense. The romance doesn't work. And this goes back to what I was talking about with all the complaining. There is so much condescending humor in this movie, this series, sorry. It is so fatiguing. Everyone is always calling each other names and saying, oh, shut up. You don't know that. But they play it off sarcastically like it's supposed to be funny. Uh, Captain Ali, Dr. Chan, I want to say this. I think the ideas of these characters are good. I think what these characters could be are good. I think when Captain Ali, and this plays back into the first few episodes, no one really does anything or goes anywhere. Captain Ali first pilots around Nerd in the helicopter, then somehow later ends up on the moon mission, and that's why she's important. I loved her better when I thought they were establishing her and Nerd's daughter as kind of a sister relationship. She became kind of an older sister role model to Nerd's daughter. And I'm like, that would have been great, personally. I loved her strong will and confidence. But then later in the season, it translated into this condescending, attacking everyone. Like, what? You have a problem with black people or whatever? And there was just this hostile aggression towards everyone. Dr. Chan is part of one of my most hated scenes, which is in episode six. And that is when Dr. Mallory and Naird have a falling out for understandable reasons. I mean, given his stance on everything, these assault rifles that were packed into his life's work, he's outraged. He quits. And it's, I kind of think, a powerful moment. They're standing far away. They're yelling at each other in public, and it's humiliating. And then it goes into a Kung Fu Panda 2 territory where they absolutely destroy their own momentum, where Dr. Chan just walks out. And this is after they've had their falling out, and Nerd's just left sitting in his feelings, sitting in this frustration. And then Dr. Chan walks out and goes, Adrian, Adrian, Rocky, Rocky. Get it? It's a, it's a Rocky reference. I'm like, this is the takeaway of the scene, is not their powerful fight. It is this stupid joke, this punchline that makes us say, oh, you invested in that? Huh? Well, it's, it's a stupid joke anyway. They'll be fine. Just get over it. Anyway, I, I think I, I've, I'm hearing myself talk, and I, I've realized, I think, I've hit a landmine in terms of this anger. It sounds like this but, show has really pinched a lot of nerves in your keister, Daniel. <laughs> Here's the thing. Space Force is a dog biting at my butt. And I want to just slap it aside and just destroy it. But it's a dog. And it's Greg Daniels. 
And so I'm trying not to just nuke the heck out of it, or as they said in the show, bomb it. The only thing about the president that I found was a funny thing was using tweets to communicate with Naird instead of a video conference or yes. instead of engaging with him directly. Yes. I, I think that is a very brilliant <laughs> way to weave reality into your world. Yes. I don't think anyone knows what this show is supposed to be. And the structure of it all, the fact that it's dependent on each other and the fact that it ends on a cliffhanger makes it very unlikely in my eyes that they can do anything significant to change season two. Yeah, that was a poor decision. I wouldn't have ended this on a cliffhanger. It's a comedy, at least from yeah. what I can tell, it's a comedy. Um, but one thing that I'll, that I'll say before I, before I call it quits uh, as the defense attorney for Space Force LLC um, <laughs> is um, I think the one character that deserves sympathy is Naird's daughter. Uh, she has an absent father and her mother is in prison for reasons we still do not know. Uh, Which is not something comedies usually do. Yes. They usually tell um, us up front. So I think that's that's a huge problem is that even you, Daniel, did not feel sympathetic towards the character, in my opinion, is the most is the character that the audience should probably feel for the most because you see how the mm. character's actions have consequences on her life and how... Yeah how she deals with things is a response to how crappy her, her upbringing is right now. I do think in episode nine, when she times her father's conversation to 40 seconds, that was a really good scene. Yeah. But the thing is, James, every scene I have with her is spent in such a negative light. We see her either bossing around people, taking advantage of people, kind of doing her own thing and just saying, F you, like I do what I want. And I never get a moment where she either cries or shows emotion. Her math homework is something she struggles with briefly. She dates that Russian dude briefly. Yeah, and that was Captain so Ali. weird. But James, I think the one problem is, for me, this show is not about Naird's daughter. It's about Naird. And so when his daughter is giving him yeah. all sass and stuff, does it make sense from a human standpoint? Yeah. But she's not the focus of this story. She's not. And I feel like perhaps maybe the show would have been better if she was. And Steve Carell played a very funny, very bad absent father's second character. I don't know what you have to say on that. Well, yeah, something I will say is Naird is one of my least favorite characters. So, yeah, that's a huge speed bump for me is that, <laughs> wow, I don't really care much for this guy at all. Like, I love the concept. Uh, like you've been saying before, I think on paper some of these characters are cool. Like, he's this traditional military guy and he knows how to do things the military way. And he likes to keep things in order. But when presented to like someone asking him how to write a tweet or how to deal with anything in space or science, he just is like, throw a bomb at it. I don't know. So like, yeah. uh, not well executed, but I think he could have been really funny. Okay. So wrapping it up, I'll just say, you know, there's a, there's a rule that I've heard said about comedies versus dramas. And I think it has to do with Shakespeare. Comedies end in a marriage Dramas end in death. And I don't think that's universally truth for every story, but I think it is a very basic rule of thumb you should apply when considering what genre you're trying to make your things. In The Office, it's uh, bookended by a certain couple's relationship in how they develop. No spoilers for those of you that haven't seen it. In The Parks and Rec, it's, you know, Leslie Nope and kind of maybe more centered around her and her love life and how that progresses. In Space Force, we end with a possible court-martial 
treasonous action against the government, an escaped convict, and a young girl who was almost involved in possibly illegal drugs. So you tell me if this is a comedy, but that's where I'll leave it. I'm Daniel, and this is James, and you've been listening to our podcast, Casually Critical. And please, we know some of you guys are big fans of these shows. We love to hear your thoughts. We're sure that some of you disagreed, either with me, with James, maybe both of us, maybe none of us. Who knows? We'd love to hear your thoughts. Have a great day. Hey.